0: Every sermon does, or at least it should have, a purpose or a goal in mind. Some lessons, like the one that we studied together this morning, had an encouragement that we make sure that our lives reflect what God wants us to be. There are types of lessons which are informative. There are some of the lessons which are encouraging. And this lesson is one that reflects a challenge to rebuild. Sometimes each of us have problems in our lives such that we need a rebuilding phase. That is, we need to look at our lives and say, you know, I am not where I ought to be, where I need to be, and I'm going to have to have some commitment to see that it is completed. Sometimes congregations go through difficulties. Sometimes they have seen uh, a lot of problems arise. And in doing that, they need to rebuild. There are some places in the Bible where those kinds of encouragements can be found. We're going to study tonight from the book of Nehemiah in the first six chapters as we briefly look at the challenge to rebuild. The photograph that's on the screen in front of you is one that I took in 2011 in the city of Jerusalem. The reason for taking that photograph is that is a part of Nehemiah's wall. And we're going to talk about Nehemiah for just a little bit, and we're going to talk about that wall and the challenge to rebuild. As we lay the groundwork, I point out again, as we have over several weeks now, that there are some tremendous lessons to be learned from the Old Testament. And these are not just Bible stories. Sometimes, when you tell somebody that this is a Bible story, they get the idea as if this is something that did not really happen. It's just a fable. It's some sort of a a myth, maybe. It's something made up to teach a lesson. I want to suggest to you that the Bible is true, right, and that it is accurate in all ways. We shouldn't look at the Bible and say they're just a bunch of stories. These are actual events in an actual place where things did happen. And the book of Nehemiah reveals a great man whom God raised up at a needed time. Sometimes you and I may not realize what part we can have in making the Lord's church a better place. We may need to be the one as Mordecai told Esther who knows we're whether or not you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You may be the right person at the right place at the right time to be the encourager, to be the builder, to be the worker to cause the Lord's church to grow. And I think these can have some great applications for those of us who are trying to fulfill the needs of the Lord's church So we're going to look at three things. First of all, very briefly, we're going to look at the concern that Nehemiah had developed over the situation that existed. Second of all, we're going to look at the challenge, or more accurately, the challenges, seven of them, that he will face as he tries to rebuild the walls. And then number three, we're going to look at how they completed it. Let's begin, first of all, with the concern. And If you want to open your Bibles, we're not going to be able to read every passage of Scripture. We're going to have to allude to some things. Uh, You recognize covering six chapters is going to require us to just briefly touch base as we go through. So if you will, keep your Bibles open to the book of Nehemiah, now to chapter 1. Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king, Artaxerxes. And he was serving in his kingdom. And we come to chapter 1, and I want you to look with me at verses 2 through 4. Then Hananiah, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates burned with fire. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Folks, if you don't get anything else, I want you to see the heart of this great man, Nehemiah. He was concerned about his family. He was concerned about his nation. He knew that the captivity was now over. The Babylonian captivity lasted for 70 years. It's now over. What's the condition of the people? It's just bad. For instance, he will make reference in the verses that follow when he prays to God, pointing out that God had already warned them back in Leviticus chapter 26 how that if they did not do what was right, God would allow another nation to come in and conquer them and take them captive. And he pointed out their sins had actually risen all the way up to heaven and God had to do what he did. But God's mercy was there and God would bring them back if their hearts would be right. As King Artaxerxes saw Nehemiah's sadness, he looked at him, he saw his face and he said, What's wrong? I'm paraphrasing now. What's wrong, Nehemiah? I know there's something wrong. I can see it on your face. Nehemiah does not want to show sadness to the king. If you're the cupbearer and you show some sort of nervousness, you may think you may not survive this. He explained about how the people in his homeland were suffering. He also explained how the walls were in such a dilapidated state And so King Artaxerxes says to him, You can go back. The walls broken down, the condition of the people was a reproach to them. Now you think about that. Most of us try to make our homes look presentable. I'm sure some of you are now mowing your grass. You don't want your grass to grow up knee deep and your neighbors to think, Well, this guy doesn't care about his place. Nehemiah thought... For the people there to live with broken down walls and burned gates only shows that they are a beaten people. That it was a reproach. Look at chapter 2 verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in. How that Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. You have to ask how they got there. What does it mean to say they're in reproach? In Proverbs 14, verse 34, Solomon says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It's an embarrassment. They're they're embarrassed. You remember Jeremiah, Jeremiah 24, 9 says, I will deliver them to trouble in all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm to be a reproach and a byword and a taunt and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. God had told them, even before this happened, this is going to be a mark on who you are. For Nehemiah, this is concern to him. The time for the sadness is over. Let me ask you, as you look at your life, look at where you are, do you have a legitimate concern that you're not where you ought to be? Do you look around in your life and you see, my prayer life is certainly not what it ought to be. Do you look around and see your Bible study? It's not what it ought to be. Do you see your devotion to serving God and you can say, you know what, it's not really what it ought to be. If it is, then you've got a reproach in your life. You don't think people can see if you don't know your Bible very well? If you're not real loyal, you're not real dedicated? For Nehemiah, this was a concern that he wanted to do something about. So every worthwhile effort will be met with challenges. And in this case, Nehemiah is going to face seven of them. Let me tell you something. If you decide you want to rebuild your life and you want to do what is good and right, do you know what's going to happen to you? Probably the very first thing is the devil is going to put a stumbling block in front of you to try to prevent you from making the changes you ought to make. And you say, well, how will the devil do that? Sometimes these challenges will come from the outside, from people who are not Christians, and sometimes, folks, the challenges will come from people who are on the inside who ought to know better, who ought to love you more than that. Just like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 5, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. I think he's talking about the individual there. But let me point out to you, sometimes we face it from every direction. Let's look at these seven things that he faced and see if they're not things that you and I may face as well. very first thing is ridicule and sarcasm. Now, someone may say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, if you're that strong, more power to you. But I would suggest to you that if you're like normal people, and somebody mocks you and ridicules you, you're going to say, I give up and I give in. Let me give you an illustration. I'm going to say, choose a man to start with. Let's say you're a man and you realize, I've not been growing as I should. I've not been participating as I should. I need to be more devoted to the Lord. And so you tell the elders, I want to be more active in the service. Put me down to lead a prayer. And you come up here and you lead a prayer. The first thing you hear is you go to the back, somebody say, did you realize how many mistakes you made in that prayer? Someone else may come along and say, maybe after you leave, you led a prayer? You did? I know who you are. I know where you came from. You mean you led a prayer at church? Look at what Nehemiah faced. Chapter 2, verse 19. Then Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab, heard of it. They laughed at us. And despised us and said, What is this thing you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? They are looking at the work that's going on and they're laughing at him. Go a little bit further with me down to chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. And he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria, and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now, Tobiah was beside himself. And he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. I can't deal with all of the ridicule and sarcasm that's in that section. Just two verses. Calls them feeble Jews. You're a bunch of weaklings. You can't do anything. He says, will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? They mock the fact that these were religious people who offered sacrifices to God. Oh, they're going to offer sacrifices? That's going to make them a lot better. Do you realize that there's some people who will look at you tonight because you're here in church and say, are you so weak-minded that you have to go have somebody to encourage you, to talk to you, and, and pump you up and tell you your God does this and your God does that? Will they complete it in a day? You know, you're working real hard and somebody said, what are you trying to do? Burn yourself out. And then last, talking about reviving the heaps of ruin, the burned stones, whatever they do, it's going to be so poorly constructed that if a fox runs up on it, it's going to knock the wall down. That kind of sarcasm and ridicule really does discourage. Now, how can you overcome that challenge? Consider the source. Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem were all people whom, if you remember us reading Wednesday night from the book of Ezra about the Samaritans, these are the people who were not servants of God. They wanted to frustrate the purposes. You need to understand when somebody says something sarcastic and ridicules you, they're not your friend. They're your enemy. And they don't care about the eternal soul that you have. Number two, I've got to move along. Threats of violence. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 8, if you will. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Sometimes it's not just violence, it's the threat of violence. Sometimes people, all they've got to do is just say, you know what? A fellow could get hurt doing something like that. The book of Hebrews chapter 10 verses 32 through 35 describes the church in the first century. He says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated you endured a great struggle with sufferings partly while you were made a spectacle by reproaches and tribulations and partly when you became companions of those who were so treated. He said some of you suffered direct." mistreatment some of you were just partners you were fellow companions of those who were so treated for you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven you see he says sometimes these people suffered now how did nehemiah respond to this Nehemiah was faced with this kind of a challenge. What if somebody is threatening you? Here's what he did, chapter 4, verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. He did two things. He prayed and he asked for God's blessing. But number two, he set a watch, he provided a means. You know, sometimes we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. But you know what God expects you to do for that daily bread? He expects you to get out and work. Bless what work we put out. Bless the effort that we put out. They prayed to God and then they tried to do everything within their power to make provision for it. Number three, rubbish in the way. You know, Sometimes when you're preparing a lesson and uh, there's something that you're doing that really sort of um, has some personal application. I mentioned this morning yesterday that Mike and I were trying to cut up a tree. One thing I started noticing after a while was I was stepping over limbs, stepping over pieces of wood, and after a while it dawned on me, why am I doing that? Pick it up, get it out of the way, then you won't have to step on it. Get the rubbish out of the way. The children of Israel were trying to build these walls back. Nehemiah was trying to get them to do it, but you know they had a problem. There was rubbish in the way. Chapter 4, verse 10. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. There's things getting in our way. We're having to spend time trying to get by them. Sometimes we have to do double duty. One, we have to get the rubbish out of the way before the repair can begin. Now, I'm going to read verse 17 in just a moment. But I want you to think about yourself. You're trying to repair your life. You're trying to rebuild. And you keep coming up frustrated. You know what some of our frustrations are? They're our own rubbish and our own lives that are keeping us frustrated ourselves. Chapter 4, verse 17. Those who built on the wall and those who carried the burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with another hand they held a weapon. You see, you got two things going on. Sometimes we have to work double duty in doing this. Number four, frustrating brethren. You don't tell me that brethren would sometimes get in the way of doing something good, would they? Really, there's nobody that's going to ever be the cause of trouble. Sad to say, but that is reality. Let me give you an illustration. This morning as I sat listening to the announcements made, I thought, boy, this congregation's got a lot going on the next couple of weeks. Devotional tonight for the young people after they've already sat through this service. Thought about then next Sunday as tabs and those who will be working to prepare everything for it. We'll have a lot of visitors next Sunday evening. Two weeks from tonight we'll be, or today, we'll be having our gospel meeting. Each night we'll... There's going to be a lot of stuff going on. There's going to be some people during this period of time who are going to say, you know what, I've got something else that's more important going on. Hey, why don't you go with us to the ball game? You know, there, you can go to church any you want to. Frustrating brethren. Listen to chapter 5, verse 1. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. What are they crying out about? Ursary. We don't use that word much anymore, but it means excessive interest. If you've ever watched the new Indian uh, reservations advertisement to loan you money, I suggest you can pause your TV, pause and read down at the bottom of the fine print. I did the other day 865% interest. That's a lot of interest, folks. Just as soon as you borrow it, you're always so deep in debt you can't ever pay it off again. Excessive interest. Notice chapter 5, verse 7. Nehemiah said, we've got to handle this. We've got to deal with this problem. I like the way the King James puts it. Then I consulted with myself. Any of you ever consult with yourself? You think about it. And I rebuked the nobles, the rulers, and said to them, You exact ursery, everyone from his brother. And I set a great assembly against them. He said, You rich folks, not a problem that you're rich. The problem is what you're doing, you're taking advantage of your brethren. You're not even supposed to be using usury anyway. You come down to verses 8 through 13. And notice what Nehemiah does. And according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren that were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Now stop there for just a moment. He's confronting them and saying, you know this idea of selling brethren? You're buying your brethren? And what are you doing? He says, they sat there silent. Verse 9, then I said, what you're doing is not good. Dropping down to verse 10, I also with my brethren, my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Restore them now, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses. Also a hundredth of the oil, money and of the grain, the new wine, the oil that you have charged them. So they said we will restore it and we will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And then dropping down the latter part of verse 13 then the people did according to this promise. Sometimes we have to look at our brethren and say folks just do the right thing. Don't cause a problem in the life of one of your brethren. I've got to look at what I say, what I do, the way I treat people. And make sure I'm not creating some sort of conflict for them or for myself. Next was a challenge of distraction. It's real easy to distract people. I guarantee if there was a loud noise that was on the other side of the auditorium, everybody just immediately turned to see what it was. We're easily distracted. Chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come let us meet together among the villages in the plains of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent to me this message four times, and I answered them in this manner. You see, Nehemiah had somebody trying to distract his attention, trying to get him off. You ever find yourself letting people distract you from what you ought to be doing, where you ought to be? It's so easy. Sometimes there are things that are good. Sometimes there are people trying to undermine us. He refused the invitation four times. And the devil knows all he has to do to keep the church from growing is to keep us distracted. One of the things that really bothers me, it, every once in a while I just get so encouraged and so enthusiastic, and I think, you know what, we're fixing to really do a great work. We're really fixing to make a great jump forward. And next thing you know, somebody does something somewhere that just frustrates us all seems like every time when the church is just poised for greatness, somebody has to come up with new false doctrines somewhere. Or somebody has to create some personal conflict. You know, it's such a sad thing that the devil can distract us. Last one is rumors. Now, look with me at chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Then Samballot sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. You've also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying there's a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. You see, they started a rumor they knew wasn't true. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they're all trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands." You know, people try to create something. Rumors are rarely true, but you're often forced to deny or defend something that's a negative. I didn't do that. Well, prove you didn't do it. How do I prove I didn't do that? Proverbs 26:20, 20, where there's no wood, the fire goes out. Where there's no tellbearers, strife ceases. Now, all this created stumbling blocks. In chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, and I'm going to have to very quickly summarize this. They tried to tell him, you need to go hide yourself in the temple. Nehemiah did not have the right nor the privilege to enter in the temple. And he says in verse 11, and said, should I be such a man as to flee and who is there such as I who would go into the temple of God to save my life, I will not go in. They did this because they wanted to have something to accuse him for, and he didn't participate. The completion. In 52 days, the walls were completed. Folks, that's less than two months. When he arrived at Jerusalem... The walls were broken down. The gates were burned with fire. The city was a reproach. Chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. These people said, you know what? This is a job God wants us to do. We're going to do it. All these challenges, yes, we're going to face them. The people had a mind to work. Brother David read to us just a few moments ago from chapter 4, verse 6. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. This is earlier. For the people had a mind to work. They had their heart in it had their minds in it. When the Lord's church has problems, that ought to concern us. When we ourselves have problems, it ought to concern us. It's a reproach on the church. It's a reproach on us. The enemies will do anything they can to keep us from being successful. We've got to not let them. If we do God's will, we do God's work, he will bless us. This lesson was hopefully one to encourage us to put forth our strongest effort to be what God wants us to be. Tonight, if you look at your life and you realize my life is in a mess because I'm not a Christian, you can fix that. You can come believing in Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and then be baptized, and the Lord will add you to His church You can be a great servant of His. The majority of us here are Christians. It's possible that one or more of us are in this state that we need to fix things. first thing for you to do is to come back to God. Would you come while we stand and sing?